www.thepeopleshow.com. Morning, everyone. Hope everyone's doing well this morning. Um, thanks for joining us. Uh, we are. We have been really rolling through um, the Book of Romans uh, at a pace of like three weeks per chapter. Uh, <laughs> but we're going to pick up the pace a little bit today. You'll find so. Um, now, I'm not going to recap the whole book, as we kind of have been the last few weeks, but I want to remind us of at least where we left off last week in the process of working through the book of Romans. Um, we talked about and read about how God is just. It was called the just and the justifier. God is just. He's the perfect judge who will get every one of his decisions right. Every one of his rulings will be right every single time. So he's just, but he's also the justifier. He's the one who made a way for us to be on the good side of his judgment through Jesus. So in a sense, he's the lawgiver who sets the standard. He's also the judge who pronounces us guilty because we don't measure up to that standard. But then he's the redeemer, the one who provides the payment for the penalty in his son Jesus, and then sets free anyone who will receive him by faith. Right? As we're uh, in this uh, gearing up towards this season of Easter, we understand God gave his son Jesus, who was perfect. He was and is the only one who met every one of God's righteous standards. That's pretty significant because it means he upheld all of God's laws perfectly and completely. He didn't do away with God's law. He fulfilled it. So when he died as a sacrifice on the cross for sin, he settled all the requirements of the law for us. Right? So the significance of that, it isn't some miscarriage of justice on God's part to then allow us into heaven. It's not like he's ignoring the fact that we didn't measure up to the law. But he's legally able to acquit us and to declare us innocent or declare us righteous, to justify us, because we have a Redeemer, Jesus, who paid the penalty on our behalf. And specifically, Paul says he's just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Right? It isn't some blanket uh, covering that everybody gets automatically. But we have to respond to this gift, this invitation by faith. Right? And when we do, he declares us righteous. So that's kind of the essence of what we talked about last week and where we kind of left, left off. Um, and uh, that took us to Romans 3.26. Uh, so we're going to pick it up at, at Romans 3.27. If you're following along in your, uh, in your Bibles or Bible apps, feel free to flip there. Uh, as we work through, the key verses that we're focusing on will be on the screen as well. So, um, but Paul, after he talks about these things, he kind of drives home the point that salvation comes through faith by uh, answering a series of kind of hypothetical questions at the end of chapter 3. He did that before in some other topics, but he kind of does it again here. Okay, Romans 3, 27 through 31. We'll take on that text first. Paul writes, then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? 
No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles, since God is one, who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Okay, we'll stop there for now. So first he asks, like, look, what, what is there that we can boast about? Nothing. Right? There's nothing, because God has done all the heavy lifting in this. So boasting, that's excluded. And, and then he kind of drives that home by saying, well, what kind of law would exclude or eliminate boasting? What, what would get rid of that? Certainly not a law of works. Because look, if, if you did somehow follow all the laws of God, if you followed somehow all the rules of God perfectly like Jesus did, then you really would have something you could boast about, right? But of course we can't. We haven't. We won't. And so he says the law of faith, on the other hand, that eliminates any boasting because we ourselves have done nothing boastworthy. It's all because of the work God has done through Jesus that we can be saved. Right? And then in verse 29 he says, or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one will justify the circumcised through faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Now this, this might seem to be a, a weird or, or rapid jump in thought, and it is a little bit, but, you know, because in, in one breath he's talking about being justified, declared righteous by faith, and now he's going on again about the Jews and the Gentiles, as he's done a number of times. But his point is that salvation isn't based on the law. It's available to all, right? If... If salvation is not based on the law, it's available to all. And since there's really only one God that truly exists, and all others are false gods, then he's the God of everyone. He's the God of everyone. He alone will justify someone, whether they have the law or not, whether they're Jew or Gentile, right? And he'll do that by faith in Christ and through faith in Christ alone. And then his last question is, do we, over, do we then overthrow the law by, his faith, by this faith? In other words, does somehow the fact that we have salvation because of our faith in Jesus, does that somehow nullify the law or wipe it out or void it or make it empty? And he says, by no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Right. So we understand the requirements of the law that God set out in the Old Testament. They have to be met. Right? He did he can't just say, uh, oh, never mind that stuff. That wasn't a good system. <laughs> the requirements still have to be met. We couldn't meet them ourselves. But legally, the requirements of the law were met in Christ. He became, the word that we talked about last week, a propitiation for sin. He took on sin's punishment for us, and that appeased or took care of God's wrath. God placed it on him instead of us. So he met all the legal requirements so that we could be acquitted or declared righteous, uh, justified because of our faith. And uh, anyone who trusts in him by faith for salvation will be saved. And Paul says this idea of salvation by faith, it doesn't do away with that law. It actually upholds the law and establishes it and makes it stand. 
Now let's think about that because the point of the law was that we would see we couldn't meet all of God's perfect standards. Right? We all fall short. We couldn't meet the holy requirements. So the law itself, guess what? It was never going to save us. Not in and of itself. But it does lead to a recognition of our sinfulness. Right? Like Paul says in Romans 3.20, says, through the law comes knowledge of sin. Right? And here's how it works. When we acknowledge, like, look, we can't meet the demands of the law. We can't measure up to God's holy and perfect standards. And that leads us to faith in Jesus. Then we're actually affirming the law and its intent. And that's the implication here. That's what Paul's writing about. Now, Paul has said, that kind of gets us to the end of these questions. Now, Paul has said that righteousness comes by faith, like apart from the law, but that the law and prophets pointed to it. Okay, that's a significant statement, and and in a way, he's going to begin to kind of back that up. Because in chapter 4, he then starts writing, of course, it wasn't chapters at the time for him, it was just all one big letter, but for us, chapter 4, Paul starts writing about Abraham, the one that they considered to be the father of of their nation and the founder of God's people. Right? No one was revered more by the Jewish people than Abraham. Like he was and still is an icon to them. Every natural born Jewish person is a descendant of Abraham. Moses and King David, like they're a big deal, but they're like a distant second to Father Abraham. And so his overarching idea is going to be this, before we go through the chapter, but his overarching idea is going to be this. Even Abraham was considered righteous because of his faith, not because of his works. His faith was credited to him as righteousness by God. And because of that, it's true for us as well. All right, so we're going to to go through chapter 4. We're going to actually read through it, so if you want to follow along. Just the thing in its entirety, and then we'll just hit a few highlights, okay? So Romans chapter 4. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works... His wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessings of the one whom God counts righteousness apart from works, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. Well, how then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It wasn't after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still 
uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. And to make him, by the way, anyone getting really uncomfortable with the number of times the word circumcised is being used in this passage? Try being the pastor reading them, all right? (laughs) It's a lot of thought here, right? Uh, So that righteousness would be counted to them as well, and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old. Or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promises of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who has delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. That's a chapter, right? That's a lot. Now we're not going to break down this passage too deeply this morning. Um, we'd be here a long time if we did. But Paul, the, the thing that I think is really great about this chapter is that Paul kind of builds his explanation right into the text, right? He talks about Abraham, points something out, and then talks about why that's significant. And so I just want to highlight a few things that he brings up. Okay, so in verse 4, Romans 4.4, 4, says this, Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. So if you have to earn salvation through your works, then it isn't a gift of God. It's a paycheck. Right? It's a paycheck. It's something you're entitled to. And the problem is that none of us are good enough to earn it. <laughs> right? Paul's going to go heavy into that in the coming chapters. He's going to make it crystal clear that no matter how many good things we do, it doesn't measure up. It doesn't add up to God's righteous standard. Like, we can't undo our sinful acts or our sinful nature. 
We can't undo our ungodliness and our unrighteousness. So, in the end, if we're trying to earn our way to heaven, the only thing we will have earned is God's wrath. Because we don't measure up. And the next verse, verse 5, says, And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. His faith is counted as righteousness. That last phrase um, is kind of like the bottom line of this whole section. right? The whole book of Romans, really. Because we believe this, that our faith is credited to us as righteousness. Right? Our faith is credited to us by God as righteousness. That's going to be the key idea you're going to hear in these couple of verses that I'm pulling out. Okay? Our faith is credited to us as righteousness. Now when Paul refers to the one who doesn't work here, he's not suggesting we don't have to do any good works as a follower of Jesus. Like if we're truly following Christ and living by faith, then fruit is going to be evident in our lives. Right? We, we do have things we're called to do. In Ephesians, Paul also talks about being saved by grace through faith, and he emphasizes that it's not by works we're saved, that it's a gift of God, that no one should boast. So he's talking about the same kinds of things. But right after he talks about those, he says this, for we, verse 10 of Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Right? So we're created for good works. Our good works do matter. But righteousness and salvation, that comes through faith. Our works are supposed to be an outflow or a response to that grace. The key is that righteousness is credited to us not because of our works, the works that we're called to, the works he has for us to do, but because of our faith, right? Again, that point, our faith is credited as righteousness. Um, Verse 16 of chapter 4, Paul says this, that is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Right? Paul is implying here, well, pretty much directly stating that, that Abraham, who the Jewish people have boasted in for centuries, is not just the father of the Jews. <laughs> Why? Because God credited righteousness to him before the law, before his works, and as he talked about before his circumcision, all of this stuff. He was credited as righteousness before that. So he is justified, as Paul has used this expression a number of times, apart from the law. And since Abraham was justified, declared righteous, in right standing with God, because of his faith, apart from the law, that means everyone who puts their faith and trust in the Lord can say they're offspring of his, or they're children of Abraham. doesn't matter whether they're actually Jewish or not, whether they have the law or not, Abraham is the father of all who believe, Paul says. Because, again, back to that point, our faith is credited to us as righteousness. Okay, verses 23 through 25, but the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, 
but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our transgressions. Right? That, that first uh, verse 23 there, it was counted to him as righteous, was written not uh, just for his, his sake, but for ours. He demonstrated faith. It was counted to him as righteousness. So Paul says, in the same way it will be counted to us too. Once again, that key idea comes out. Our faith is credited to us as righteousness. Our faith is credited to us as righteousness. So, that brings us to the end of chapter 4. We took seven weeks to get through two and a half chapters. And only one week to get through a chapter and a half today. How about that? Right. So what's our takeaway? What do we want to take away from all this today? Um, I want to close by suggesting a few things, four, four practical things for us that we can take away from the example of Abraham. Okay, And we're going to find them illustrated pretty well in Romans uh, 4, 20 and 21. And so, uh, speaking of Abraham, Paul says this in 20 and 21. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. So that's going to be up for a little bit. We're going to kind of see four different things right in those verses that I think is important. And the first part comes from that first section. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. Right? And I think the first takeaway for us can be this. Faith is unwavering. At least it's supposed to be. Right? Faith is unwavering. And we are supposed to be steadfast in our faith. Right? Faith is unwavering, so be steadfast in your faith. Now, if you think back to the story of Abraham and the life of Abraham, God had promised that he would be a father of nations and that his descendants would be numerous, and numerous as the sands on the shore or the stars in the universe. Now, at the time, Abraham didn't even have one child, much less could see himself being a father of many nations. Abraham and Sarah waited and waited and waited, and it hadn't happened. At one point, Sarah convinced Abraham to have a child with her servant, thinking maybe that's the way this is going to unfold. It was not a good choice. It was not God's plan. Moses went along with it. Now, you might even look at that and think, well, is that, isn't that wavering? Maybe a little bit? You know, a little, little bit uh, in his faith there? There are certainly moments where we see in Abraham's life that he struggled to trust God. There were probably numerous low points along the way as he journeyed with God that we don't even know about because they aren't recorded in Scripture. But in the long run, Abraham remained faithful to God's promise and continued to walk in faith. Right? And the writer of Hebrews uh, says that we should have that same approach. In Hebrews 10.23, says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. 
for he who promised is faithful. And then he goes on to talk about many of the, the, their ancestors of the Hebrews who lived by faith in chapter 11. It's like, a, it's like a hall of faith, hall of fame for people who had faith, right? But guess what? The person that he talked about the most, it was Abraham. It was Abraham. Listen to some of the words that he says in Hebrews 11. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go to a place that he was to receive an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants, as many as the stars of the heaven, and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said through Isaac shall be your offspring, shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Right? By faith, by faith, by faith, by faith, he did these things. Look, there are certainly times where you and I may struggle to trust God. It's going to happen. Maybe you're in the middle of one of those seasons now. My encouragement is to be like Abraham. Right? Keep walking with God. Keep on believing in God's promises and act in faith. Stay in it for the long haul. Right? Faith is unwavering. Be steadfast in your faith. So that's the first thing we see from Abraham. Now, having an unwavering faith, that might seem impossible at times. But I think the next part of the verse kind of relates to that. Maybe helps us with that a little bit. So it says, No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith. Key word is grew. (laughs) He grew strong in his faith. Abraham's faith didn't start out like fully formed in all-out faith, right? He grew in that. Which means this, for our key point, is faith can be strengthened. Right? Our faith can be strengthened. Um, you know, each step of faith that we take in following and trusting the Lord is going to help make our faith grow. Like, let me give you an example. Think about the first time. Hopefully there's a first time for you. Hopefully there's been many times for you. But think about the first time that you shared about Jesus with someone. Right? It was probably a little nerve-wracking. You may have been a little tongue-tied, not sure of where to start, what you're going to say. You probably got like a little nervous knot in your gut. But you knew God was prompting you to have this conversation with them about Jesus, and you had to trust Him. You're probably still nervous the next time, too. And the time after that, and quite honestly, maybe you're nervous every time. But each time you trust the Lord and do it, it gets easier. It gets easier. And it happens in other areas too. Areas that we (laughs) maybe wrestle with or struggle with sometimes in our life as Christians. The the first time you pray out loud in a group, (laughs) the 
first time you pray for someone in person and just offer to pray for them on the spot, the first time you use your gifts to serve in some capacity, the first time you start tithing or giving generously of your finances to God's purpose, not really sure how that's going to work or how it's going to go, the first time you choose to like not engage in a sinful activity you know God is calling you to step away from or to clean up in your life, the first time you raise your hands in worship or share your heart in a small group, right? All of these things are just examples, but the first steps of faith are always hard. But each time you step out in faith and trust God, it gets easier to do. Like you start building up faith muscle, right? That's what's happening. And of course, conversely, each time we hold back or shrink back in fear, it makes it harder to trust Him. When we choose not to trust God, and don't step out in faith to tell someone about Jesus or choose not to use our gifts or not to express worship outwardly or turn away from, you know, we choose not to turn away from sinful behavior. Like, it makes it that much harder the next time. So, don't resist him. Trust him. Faith can be strengthened. Build up those faith muscles. Okay, the third thing we see in, in Abraham in these verses It says, uh, he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. As he gave glory to God. And I don't think Paul's talking here about just like, oh, like he grew strong because he started bragging about who God was. I mean, we can certainly do that too. God is amazing. (laughs) He is incredible. So we should be bragging about him. But I think what Paul's referring to here is that Abraham's acts of faith, they were seen by others. Like people took notice. And that, brought glory to God. It showed them who God was. I think it's safe to say that as he grew in that faith, as he built up those faith muscles, it brought greater and greater glory to God. Right? Faith brings glory to God. Greater faith can bring greater glory. And bringing God glory, that's the end result of when we walk and live by faith. Others are going to see our faithfulness and it's going to bring him glory and honor. So faith brings glory to God. Greater faith brings greater glory. And the last one is that last verse in in verse 21. He was fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. He was fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Like, look, God will always keep his promises. So faith is confident in Him. Faith is always confident in Him. And we can be assured that faith will come through. Sorry, we can be assured that God will come through. Right? Faith is confident in Him. Be assured God will come through. Again, God's going to always keep His promises. It may not be in our timing or in the way we expected, but He's going to come through. Abraham is certainly an example of that. He waited a long time for Isaac to be born. And one key thing I want to point out here is that Paul says God is able to do what he promised. He doesn't say God is going to do whatever you want him to do. It doesn't say he's going to do what you think should be done. I think a lot of people think living by faith means we can just name it and claim it. We see that with people around us. Like, hey, God will heal my sick relative because I have faith. 
God will give me the raise that I want because I have faith. God will help my team win the Super Bowl because I have faith. And they claim things like this will come about because of faith. I have faith in this. But these aren't things God promised. Abraham was confident, he was fully confident that God was going to come through in the things he had promised. And so the the trouble is, is when we start thinking that by faith God's going to do these things that he never promised he was going to do, and then it doesn't happen, well then the problem is we didn't have enough faith, right? We just didn't have enough faith. But that's not biblical, that's just kind of messed up. It's just kind of messed up. Paul says Abraham was fully convinced that God would do what he had promised. And what God had promised to him was crystal clear. So he could be completely confident in that. In the same way, we can too. We can trust that God will do what he has promised. It's why it's so important for us to understand his word. Because those are things he's promised to us. Not just the things we concoct in our own mind. <laughs> okay, so faith is confident in him. Be assured that God will come through. All right, so uh, the first four points of those I want to have us put up here for just a moment. Um, that faith is unwavering. You can go ahead and put them all up. Faith can be strengthened. Faith brings glory to God. And faith is confident in him. As we close, I want to just ask you, when you look at these four practical things about faith that we can take away from the life of Abraham, is there one of these areas that is like a serious challenge for you? You know, is it that unwavering aspect, right? Sticking with God for the long haul? Being steadfast in Him? Is it making little steps so that our faith can be strengthened? Right? Like taking that first step is hard. Taking that next step might be hard. But maybe in your own life you know there's some things that he's calling you to that are going to require a step of faith. And it's tough. Is it the bringing glory to God part? Like, I don't know, maybe I'm not quite living by faith in a lot of ways in my life and so people aren't seeing the glory that God deserves in me. Or is it being confident in him? Right? Just being assured that he's going to come through. Right? I, I don't know. Maybe there's one of these this morning that speaks to your heart. And you think, man, that's, that's an area where I need greater faith. I need to be like Abraham. And I can't answer that for you. But maybe God is prompting something on your heart. We want to close in prayer and... Uh, uh, I'm going to ask if Scott would be willing to then come up and do some uh, closing announcements. Because <laughs> I didn't ask him before. But maybe there's one of these uh, things. Rob, can we just leave those up for a moment while we pray? Thanks. Father God, you are a God who desires faith from us. Our salvation doesn't come by our works. It's not through your laws, trying to follow them, earning our salvation. We can't do that. It's not possible. It comes through faith. This is the, this is the way you operate. This is what you desire from us is a heart of faith. 
And so, Father, we pray this morning that those who might be here that are struggling in the idea of faith being unwavering, who are struggling to be steadfast and to continue the race and to keep chasing after you for the long haul, if they're just weary and... Father, I pray that you would strengthen that, that you would, by the power of your Spirit, draw them nearer and nearer to you, and that you'd allow them to continue to pursue you in faith, to not give up, to not quit, but to trust in you as things might be difficult or tiring or weary. Pray for those who maybe have some small first steps that they know they need to take, and once they do, you know that that's going to strengthen their faith, but there's a, maybe a resistance in our heart this morning to taking that first step. Pray that you would allow that to uh, not be forgotten about, not let us disregard that, but that we would take that first step. And that in doing so, you would start to build those faith muscles in us. For those this morning who might be recognizing that there's a need to uh, live by deeper faith so that it can bring you glory. God, we pray uh, that that would be the next step as well. That our lives would ultimately bring glory to you, that others would see that we are taking these steps of faith and, and uh, be pointed towards you. And for those who might be struggling with confidence in you. Maybe because they've seen areas of their life where they prayed for something and it didn't come through. Maybe something that you didn't promise but they were hoping for and it didn't happen and that leaves us heartbroken or disillusioned or disappointed. But we pray, God, that we would be uh, have a restored confidence in you knowing that Whatever you actually promise to do, you're going to come through it. So give us that confidence. Give us that assurance. And Lord, you know where each person's heart is at this morning. You know where my heart is at this morning. We pray you would meet us in that place as you have been so faithful to do. Draw us nearer to you. Help us to live by greater and greater faith. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of the Portico Church in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. You can find out more about our church at porticocommunity.com.